Hey, how's it going? That's good. Randy did a good job, didn't he? He's a good job at MC guy, isn't he? We might have him do that more often. We didn't think he could do it, but he did it. So anyhow, today is the first message in a two-part series that we are calling Words We Need to Change. So basically, I was asked to choose a word for this series, and the, and the first word that popped in my head was this, but. No, not that. That's the wrong but. No, this, we're not talking about the Super Bowl halftime show. We're talking about that but. There you go, but, uh, but as in the conjunction, junction, what's your function? Remember that? As you may have learned in elementary school or like me from the uh, TV show Schoolhouse Rocks, now I'm dating myself, a conjunction is a word used to connect two clauses. And in the case of but, it's a conjunction that is used to introduce a phrase that is actually contrasting with what's already been mentioned. So for our uh, purposes here today, I'm going to give you some examples of a particular kind of but that we are talking about. So I'm going to need your help with this, okay? Here we go. Here's a little example. I realize I didn't meet the deadline, but I just have way too much on my plate right now. I know it's wrong and I shouldn't be doing it, but it's not that big of a deal. I'm not hurting anyone. You know, I know I lost my temper and I said some things I shouldn't have said, she really knows how to push my buttons. So what do all these have in common? You know, the first part of each sentence, it identifies very clearly a problem, and then the conjunction but is used to connect a contrasting phrase. In other words, a what? An excuse. An excuse, a statement of defense, a statement that may rationalize the problem or a statement that minimizes the problem or a statement that shifts the blame for the problem. All the same goal, an attempt to protect oneself. There was this CEO who had taken this new job and so the outgoing CEO kind of wanted to help him out. And he says to him, he says, sometimes you're gonna make some wrong choices, you're gonna mess up. So when that happens, I've prepared three envelopes for you and they're in the top drawer of your desk. So things go okay at first, CEO makes his first big mistake. So he goes to the drawer and he opens up envelope number one and it says, blame me blame me. He's like, that's a great idea. So he, he's like, you know, it's this old CEO's fault. I inherited his problems. And everybody were like, was like, you know, that makes sense. Okay. So then things went okay for a little while again. And then he made a second mistake. He goes to the drawer. Envelope number two says, blame the board. He's like, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll blame the board. So he says, it's the board's fault. I inherited this board and, and they're the problem. And everybody was like convinced, like, okay, that makes sense. Sure. So things went okay for a little while, makes his third mistake, goes to the drawer, pulls out the envelope, and the message reads, prepare three envelopes. <laughs> so nobody left to blame. Nobody left to blame. You know, some of us, we are quite skilled at excuse-making and blame-shifting. I mean, we know just how to present our case in order to relieve ourselves of this responsibility for our poor choices, our wrong actions, our inappropriate behaviors, our harmful habits. But even if we're not real skilled at it, it doesn't stop us from doing it, does it? I mean, there just seems to be something in every single one of us that feels this desperate need to make excuses or shift the blame when we have somehow messed up. If it's a big mess up or even a little mess up, our excuses and our 
blame shifting, shifting, it's like they just come out of us so easily. It's like a reflex, you know, a reflexive, reflexive response. But just because they roll out of us so easily, it doesn't mean that they're good for us. It doesn't mean that they're beneficial to us. They don't serve us well. Quite the opposite. They actually create a lot more problems in our lives. The Old Testament book of Proverbs, it says it well. It says it this way. It says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. Never be successful. And that's because excuse making and blame shifting, that it hinders our growth. It actually stunts our growth. Because basically we are denying ourselves the opportunity to learn from our mistakes, right? Which is really key in life. It kind of puts a lid on our growth and our development in all aspects of our lives, including our character development as well. I mean, the foundation of character growth and development is actually humility. Humility is the soil from which all great and good character grows from. It's out of the soil of humility. And part of humility is about being able to admit when we're wrong. But excuses and blame shifting, they prevent us from doing that. And they also make us unsuccessful in relationships because, you see, they hinder our ability to love. We're probably all familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter. We often hear it at weddings, you know, love is patient, love is kind. And as you go on to verse 5 in that portion of Scripture, it says this, describes real love in this way, love does not pursue selfish advantage. It is not self-serving. Love is not selfish, but making excuses and casting blame, they are the ultimate expressions of pursuing selfish advantage and self-serving, of being selfish. You see, they're all about protecting myself. I care more about me and protecting myself than I care about you and how you've been hurt. I care more about me and protecting myself than I care about us having a healthy relationship that's built on understanding and a devotion to one another. Excuses and blame shifting stunt our ability to love, and they're a barrier to strong and healthy and good and deep and close relationships. Let's state the obvious here. I mean, think about this. Does anyone here admire and respect someone when they're making excuses or shifting the blame? I mean, do we, do we look at them and we think, wow, he is really good at making excuses for bad behavior. I want to learn how to do that. I want to be like that. Or, wow, she's awesome at blaming others for her mistakes. How does she do that? I want to be just like her. <laughs> is, that what, is that our response? No one wants to work with an excuse maker and a blame shifter because you can't trust them. And when you're in a relationship with one, you certainly don't feel safe, nor do you feel loved. Ben Franklin once said this. He says, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Seldom good for anything else. We may be really good at making excuses and shifting the blame, but that doesn't translate into being good employees. That doesn't make us good teammates or good friends or good parents, or good spouses. All we're really good at is kind of making a mess of things, but then not taking responsibility for it. 
where does this come from? You know, why is this so often our go-to? Why is this just such a, a reflex that we have? Well, we're going to go way back. Way back to discover this. Way back to the beginning, to the very first human beings, Adam and Eve. The scripture tells us how Adam and Eve, they enjoyed this, this wonderful, close, intimate relationship with their creator in this stunningly beautiful place. And in this place, they had complete freedom. There was only one tree in the entire garden that they were warned not to eat from, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And you see, God, the creator, he wanted to protect them from the devastating consequences of the knowledge of evil. He, he wanted to spare them ever having to know, but yet he still gave them the choice out of love because love always gives a choice. So the knowledge of evil, it's the world we live in now. We know. We know and we experience evil every day. Just turn on the news in the evening. And as we know, they were deceived by this fallen angel named Satan. He convinced them that they just couldn't really trust God. They really questioned him. His intentions toward them, they weren't for their good. He was just this big, mean God who wanted to control them. And so they bought into this lie, disregarded the warning, and then ate from the tree. And then as soon as they made that bad choice, as soon as they made that huge mistake, that huge failure, what did they do? What was their response? Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Their response, they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Well, why? Why, why was their reaction to hide? Why? Then the Lord God called to the man. He says, Adam, where are you? And the man replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. But why, Adam? Why, why did you want to hide? You've heard him walking in the garden before. You've met him in the garden, hung out with him in the garden. Why? Why are you hiding? And he says this, I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid. For the first time ever, can you let that sink in? The first humans for the first time ever experienced fear. Fear. The fear was so great that they even felt afraid and vulnerable and unsafe in the presence of, of the one, their creator, who had given them life. And so they hid. And then it goes on to tell us this. It says, the Lord God asked Adam, he says, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to? And the man replied, yes, Lord God, and I take full responsibility for all that has happened here in the garden today. I'm the head of the household. That's what we do. You all know that's not really in Scripture, right? That is not what he said. Adam couldn't hide from God in the trees, so he made this other attempt to hide in a different sort of way. says, the man replied, he says, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. I mean, he says, yes, I ate the fruit. I acknowledge that, but it's not my fault. She made me do it. Don't look at me, Lord. I'm trying to hide from you right now. Look at her. Look at her. And then the Lord God asked the woman, man, what have you done? Eve, what have you done? And she attempts to hide as well. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. The serpent, yes, I did it, but it's not my fault. Someone else is to blame. Don't look at me, Lord. Don't look at me. I'm trying to hide. I'm trying to hide. Look to him. 
first humans messed up big time. And we would have done the same thing too. We can't be mad at them because Adam and Eve, they represent us at our very best. They messed up big and their immediate reaction, like a reflex, was to hide. First, it, it was this attempt to hide physically, to physically hide themselves in the trees. And that just, it makes me wonder, who understands that? Who can identify with that here? You, you have felt so ashamed at times that you literally just wanted to run away and hide and never have to face anyone ever again. Does anybody know what that feels like? I sure do. Their second attempt to hide from the guilt and shame of what they had done, though, was then to shift the blame. Yes, I did it, but it wasn't my fault. Someone else is to blame here, Lord. Don't look at me. I'm trying to hide. Look at them. Hold them responsible, not me. Tim Jennings is the author of two really great books we carry here in a bookstore, The God-Shaped Brain and The God-Shaped Heart. And he says this about that. Humanity has been running and hiding from God ever since. It's the reflex that we all have. Trust in God is gone and selfishness now reigns supreme. Selfish, self preservation. So just like Adam and Eve, when you and I mess up, whether it's a big mess up or a little one, our tendency, our reflex is to hide in order to protect ourselves, to hide behind excuses, to hide behind blame shifting. And our reason for hiding is no different than Adam and Eve. What did Adam say? He said, I was afraid, so I hid. So the big question for us today is, what are we so afraid of? What are we so afraid of? I mean, just like Adam and Eve, when we mess up, big or small, we feel exposed, we feel vulnerable. So naturally, naturally we're afraid. That's a scary condition to be in. What are we afraid of? I think we're afraid that other people might see our mistakes, they'll see our faults and our failures and our weaknesses. And in seeing these things, then we're afraid that they're gonna think differently of us now. They'll think less of us. They'll think of us as a failure, as worthless, incompetent, less than, a mess, many other things. And because of how they see us and, and what they think of us now, the natural thing, of course, they're gonna reject us. We're gonna feel rejected, they'll dismiss us. They won't like us. They won't respect us. They won't want us. They won't love us. We're not only afraid of others seeing our mistakes and our failures, we're afraid to see them in ourselves as well. We're afraid to see ourselves as we really are. You see, we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, and so we think a lot higher of ourselves probably than we ought, and it often makes us unaware of our true self. So we're afraid of discovering that we're not nearly as together as we thought we were. We're afraid of discovering the darkness that's still in us, acknowledging that we're what it is that we're actually capable of, that we're far more messed up than we realized. We're just afraid, we're afraid to discover the truth about ourselves. And then like Adam and Eve, we're afraid of our creator I mean, now that I've done this, what does he think of me? How does he feel toward me? 
mean, surely he's displeased with me. Surely he's disappointed in me, maybe even a little bit disgusted by me. So what do I do? What do I do now? What will he do with me? You know, is he going to punish me? Is he going to reject me? At the very least, he will surely give up on me. Surely. In most cases, I think those aren't actual conscious thoughts that we have, perhaps. And maybe we're not real conscious of this fear, but it's there, folks, buried deep in our souls. And that's why our reflex is to hide. It's just no wonder we're afraid. It's no wonder when we mess up, big or small, we need to hide. So this leaves you and I then with a choice today, a choice. And one option we have is just to choose to be held hostage. Hostage, that's a strong word, isn't it? But that's, that's exactly what's happening when we continue to hide behind excuses and blame shifting. You see, we're being held hostage by the fear of what others think of us. And we're being held hostage by the fear of seeing ourselves as we really are. And we are being held hostage by the, the, the fear of these ideas about God, our creator, that are utterly false. Utterly false. It's all so unnecessary. So we can choose today to be held hostage or... Or we can choose to be set free. Anybody want to be set free? Anybody? It's the better choice. It's not easy, but it is far better. See, this series is called Words We Need to Change. So if we want to be set free, then we need to replace the word but with a different conjunction. One that doesn't contrast with the first part of a statement, but instead it complements it. And a word that is about being open and honest with others and with ourselves rather than hiding. And that word is and. And. And so it might go something like this. Let's look at our examples again. I realize I didn't meet the deadline and I take full responsibility for this failure on my part. Done. I know it's wrong, and it is a big deal. And I have got to get help and stop this. I know I lost my temper and I said things I shouldn't have said. And I am sorry. Because I hurt you. I'm sorry. When we replace but with and, we're doing something that is sure to set us free. We're owning it. We're just owning it. I made that mistake. I was at fault. I failed to do what needed to be done. I was wrong. I take full responsibility. I am sorry. I wonder when the last time was each of us said the, those words. I am sorry. See, it's only in owning our faults and our failures that we no longer are held hostage by fear, but instead we are set free, which is so much better. But truth be told, it is not so easy for sure. I mean, it's one thing to be sitting here in church and you kind of feel empowered in this moment, you know, to make a change. But we all know how different it is once we go out there. And in that moment, when we suddenly feel exposed and vulnerable and that reflex kicks in to hide behind a butt, 
So in order to get to the place where our reflex instead is to own it in the moment rather than hide, we have to start doing something. We've got to start owning it, owning it daily in the presence of our creator. But wait, he's the, he's the one I'm most afraid of. How am I supposed to be in the presence of a big, scary God with my messed up self? Entering the presence of a big, scary God with all your flaws and failures, that really is terrifying. Lucky for us, our God isn't big and scary. Our God is big and loving. He is a big, loving God. So in his presence is the safest place our messy selves can ever be. We need to free ourselves from the false pictures and ideas of God as being someone to be afraid of. And we do that by looking to Jesus. By looking to Jesus to find out what God is really like. Why can we do that? Because look at what Colossians tells us. Colossians chapter 1. Now Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and earth. So if we want to find out what God is really like, all we need to do is look to Jesus. Because Jesus is God, our creator. He is the one who walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And John's gospel records Jesus as having said this. He says, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are tr my true followers. For if you embrace the truth, it will release more what? Freedom. More freedom into your lives. Now, Jesus is teaching about life. It certainly sets us free as we embrace and follow his ways but it's his revelation of the character of God, the beauty of it that sets us free at a far deeper level in our souls. His revelation sets us free to be naked and vulnerable in the presence of God with no reason whatsoever to be afraid. I am seen and I am known in all my messed upness with complete assurance that I am still accepted and wanted and deeply loved by the creator of the universe. And even more wonderful, my creator is completely devoted to my good and to my growth. He sees me as I am, but then he shows me what it is that I can be. And he is devoted to helping me, to empowering me, to become, become something amazingly beautiful. And he promised me, promises me that he will go through everything with me. Every mistake I make, every mess I make, he's there with me. And he will never, ever give up on me. One of the verses I cling, clung to as a, as a, when I was first a Christian that just spoke so deeply to my heart in all these years, it's something I've held on to. Philippians 1.6. It says, the one who began this glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of mature, maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will continue faithfully. He will never give up. When we come to know and understand this revelation of God, our creator, the truth about what he's really like, how big and loving he is, then we go running into his presence, feeling just utterly safe to own our faults and our failures, the messes we've made, all of our brokenness. But we own it with this kind of strength and this hope and the ability to change and to become something far better. We fail forward, so they say. And the way by which we discover this truth about Christ, our creator, and ourselves is by meeting him in his word daily, every single day. 
Randy talks to us all the time about we've got to be in the Bible. We've got to be in the Word. Read it for yourselves, he says. And as Christ followers, we learn early on that we're supposed to read the Bible every day. But it's so much more than that. It's not about reading a book. It's about encountering the living God in his living Word. See, 2 Timothy, it tells us that Scripture is useful for teaching us how to live right and showing us what's wrong in our lives and correcting our faults. And that's really important. But Hebrews, look at what it says about God's word, how it takes it to this far deeper level. This is just perfect. It says, for we have the living word of God, which is full of energy. It's not just a book with words on a page. It's full of energy, the living word. And it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and the secret motives of our hearts. That's powerful. And you see, when I feel safe with God in his presence, then I can feel safe to take an honest look at myself. What I discover in his word about myself, to see myself as I really am, to own who I really am, but not with a kind of self-loathing. I can do it with a strength and a hope and the ability to change because God is at work in me and he will never, ever give up on me. So you see, when I'm no longer afraid of being vulnerable with God, and and I'm no longer afraid of, of being completely honest with myself, then I'm set free from the fear of what others might see, think, or feel about me. I have no need to hide anymore. The truth is, the thing that I really wanted to, to be accepted, to be liked, respected, loved, it's far more likely to happen because people are drawn to us when we are open and honest and vulnerable about our lives. Mistakes and failures, the whole shooting match. When we're wrong and we say, I'm sorry, without a but, people have so much more respect for us and they feel safe with us. And they want to be like us because we show them that there's this other option in life. We don't need to hide. We can be set free. Set free. Look at one more verse from the writer of of Hebrews, what he urges us to do. He says, we must get rid of everything that slows us down. Let's throw off any extra baggage. You see, we must get rid of our butts. We must. Our excuses and our blame shifting are just this extra baggage that you and I do not need in this life. They serve only to slow us down on our spiritual journey toward our potential, becoming who Christ created us to be and doing the things he's planned for us to do. So in this final moment here together, can we just get real personal with ourselves? What are your butts? What are those excuses and and the blame shifting that you've been hiding behind? What are the buts you're using at work? What are the buts you're using at home? What are the buts you're using in your marriage? What are the buts that you're saying to yourself about those habits and those things you're doing? What are the buts you've been saying to God? whether you're verbalizing them out loud or you're you're just thinking them, what are the buts that are holding you hostage today, right now? And what are you afraid of? 
I'm not asking you this so that you leave here today feeling condemned, feeling down, feeling miserable. I ask that we can all leave here. We can leave here set free today. Set free. There's a Christian blogger named Sarah Bessie, and she says this. She says, conviction is less about condemnation than it is about invitation. It's an invitation into freedom. It's an invitation into wholeness. You and I today, right here, right now, we have an invitation into freedom. Will we accept it? Let's pray. God, how we thank you for this invitation that is coming directly from your heart today to be free, to no longer need to hide, to be afraid, but to live authentic lives, to know that we are safe in your presence, that you are for us, that you are with us, and that you will never give up on us. We're safe to really take an honest look at ourselves, and then we can be set free to be ourselves and to own our mistakes and our faults, to say I'm sorry to others. So we thank you for your truth, and God, I pray that each of us today will choose freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.